This month on the Be Real Patreon, we discuss our watch party of 1999's The Mummy, assessing Brendan Fraser's heyday, the film's myriad special effects, and asking how each of us would deal with the Humdai curse. And coming soon in April, we'll make our monthly streaming recommendations, everything from Netflix comedies to HBO documentaries to classic television we found via our TV antenna. Is that still streaming? Anyway, you can support the show right now for $3 a month. Uh, You'll get two monthly bonus episodes and help us keep the lights on. Thanks as always for listening. You can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal or measure them all by box office appeal but for once in your life Be real! What makes this pod different from all other pods? Why it's Passover pod, of course. This is Be Real, and my name's Chance Solom Pfeiffer. And I'm Noah Ballard. Happy Passover to you, man. Yes, it is the second night of Passover when we're recording this. I just attended a digital Seder. How was your digital Seder? Um, it was uh, abbreviated, to be sure. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely not the same experience as sitting around with your family and extended people in your life. Just kind of bored, but also just like going through this, I mean, pretty inspiring story of you know people overcoming adversity by just hanging in there and believing it could happen Uh, absolutely and then putting blind faith into one individual uh with and you mean after these movies uh you know who knows who this guy actually was um but the seder itself is a nice at least for me in my mind is a nice sort of uh harbinger of spring uh, and nice. it's, you sort of interact with like some parsley and some eggs and like, you know, some things that remind you of this, this time of year. Uh, and of, the, of course, that's supposed to be the, the whole purpose of the Passover Seder. Well, everything you just described sounds cinematic to me, which is why we have three movies telling the Moses story that we're going to try and uh, I guess let them lead us out of Egypt Um, We're going to talk about the Ten Commandments from 1956, The Prince of Egypt, the animated DreamWorks film from 1998, and Exodus, colon, Gods and Kings, a Ridley Scott epic from 2014. Do you want to go chronologically, Noah? Not alphabetical. Uh Uh-huh. So we better start (laughs) with the Ten Commandments. Um, Thou shalt not kill... What are the other ones? (laughs) <laughs> something about mom and dad <laughs> yeah something don't about neighbors your, and their don't cover your neighbor's lawn tools yeah something like that good fences make good neighbors i think that's it um, i think we got them all on that try yeah <laughs> no, but this is actually so it's 1956 but it's actually a remake of another 10 commandments movie also directed by cecil b demille who yeah directed this one of course yeah, he made a silent one in 1923, and then this is his uh, his last his last film. Um, and boy, what a what a way to go out! Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna pick a last movie, why not make it about the Exodus from Egypt? Um, sure, and you know, also s- four hours long. 
nearly four hours long. Um, and I have to say, like, my interaction with this movie has sort of been interesting because, of course, it, like, it always ends up on a TV around this time of year. Uh, so there's, like, sort of, there's three cuts of this movie. There's, like, the abbreviated one that's, like, on ABC or something, like the whatever Sunday night falls nearest to Passover. Mm-hmm. Then there's the restored original theatrical cut that not only includes like a five minute intro speech by Cecil B. DeMille. It then is followed by another five minutes of just an instrumental overture before the credits even begin. And then there is like a full blown intermission uh, before he returns to Egypt to Entracte. Is that what you call that? Oh, sure. Yeah. It's incredible. And so the one we watched, of course, and the one you can download from Amazon, like kind of has those beginnings and ends, but not quite in the same as like it was, I think, originally released on DVD 15 years ago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, wait, can I ask you a question before we jump in here? Yes. I have lots of questions for you, our Jewish correspondent. Um, do you find that the ethos of any of the films that we're talking about today, obviously they center on the Hebrews, are particularly like Judaic in their ethos or do they feel much more Christian to you? I have no way of gauging this. I want to know what you think. Wow. Um, Like the movie productions, I mean. That's interesting. I mean, there's definitely, it's weird seeing... uh, you know, uh, Charlton Heston as Moses. Cause I mean, I guess for me, he's just sort of like a questionable character, you know, just sure. from American history. Uh, and certainly I don't think Heston was Jewish. Was he? I, I'm going to say no way. And then I'm going to look it up. <laughs> you got to think everybody, but like Edward G. Robinson is probably Protestant. Yeah. Including Cecil B. DeMille. Including Cecil B. DeMille. But he checked in with whatever rabbis and Philo and whoever and God himself that intro before making. But I've never seen a movie that was so goofy as to have the director come out, have like a microphone appear in front of him and him go on to explain the literal theme of his movie. Right. And then to also be the narrator in the movie, continuing to explain the same themes at intervals where they need to fill voice time apparently some um, of it does feel like studio notes whereas like you'd probably get what was going on like if his voice wasn't there so i, I don't know would. how much of it like was in the original script but it also wouldn't surprise me if it's like cecil b says right you know, <laughs> over the backdrop of genesis going on in the in the clouds or whatever uh yeah and then there was light oh right they literally start with the first verse of genesis yes it's, it's an incredibly it's p- possibly the most self-important movie i've ever laid eyes on i mean they have the thing where they they do talk about the the texts and the historians who kind of help them fashion this together and then it does like a and introducing musical guest the holy scripture <laughs> <laughs> it really does that and then the the best part about it too is that like in the um, the like the credits between Cecil B. DeMille, it has like the and so it shall be written and so it shall be oh done. My goodness, 
it's very like it really does think that what they have created here is like a true like important document like that rivals the things that they're quoting liberally from ladies and gentlemen young and old this may seem an unusual procedure speaking to you before the picture begins but we have an unusual subject the story of the birth of freedom the story of moses as many of you know the holy bible omits some 30 years of moses life from the time he was a three-month-old baby and was found in the bulrushes by, by Bethia, the daughter of Pharaoh, and adopted into the court of Egypt until he learned that he was Hebrew. One of the things I think has to be discussed is kind of the, the reputation, legacy, lack thereof of this movie, which if you adjust for inflation, which you know I love to adjust for inflation. What about foreign markets? How does that play into this assessment? This one, that one I don't know. On the American box office gross list, this movie is sixth all time. But that is a weird list, man. That list is Gone with the Wind, Star Wars, E.T., Snow White, This, Ben-Hur, Dr. Zhivago, Avatar, Titanic, like some movies in there that are beloved and that people still love to talk about, but a lot of them are this weird amalgam of like Hollywood being the center of American entertainment culture and uh, burgeoning film technologies that sort of made it kind of mandatory for people to go take in that spectacle. And then like a very specific zeitgeist. And I was talking to my friend Tim today and he's just like, yeah, man, I think you could see that this in the mid fifties at the the peak of a certain American conservatism, you could probably get at least Christians of all stripes, Catholics, Baptists, Methodists, everyone to come in and see this movie. Um, And then you can tell in Cecil B. DeMille's intro when he's like, this is a conflict that still plays out today. He's very clearly talking about the Cold War um, because he's framed it as like individualism versus tyranny. Um, It's very of its time. For sure. Well, the the one thing that the Jewish financers and the Christian moviegoers can agree on is the Old Testament. So, like, why not steal, like, a pretty black and white kind of morality tale from these original documents here, the original narrative? Uh, yeah, and throw it up on screen and, like, give it all the Hollywood bluster it needs. Uh, right. You know, and it really does play with some pretty fascinating character types i think in this movie particularly the other ones don't quite do this but i mean just because it's a four-hour movie you can have plenty of characters and like plenty of supporting parts but like even the vincent price character in this or uh you know edward g robinson is dathan like really interesting kind of plays on you know contemporary conversation or at least contemporary for the 1950s conversations about like what was being said about American slavery uh, Mm -hmm. you know why just brushing up against it not saying it outright which is sort of interesting Um, but but of course I think you have to kind of start and this is for me at least like where the movie is like inherently not a religious text is the performance, a great performance, mind you, but the performance and the character uh, portrayed by Anne Baxter uh, as Nefertiri. Right. So she is the current pharaoh Seti, or the the pharaoh before Ramesses. Um, 
his wife, right? But who will be essentially passed down to whoever Seti's successor it's is? It's unclear what her relationship with Seti is, but she's just like kind of hanging around. She's like called a like a court princess or something at some point. You know, she's a she's a hanger on. Uh, but she's worked it so she's gonna marry whoever whoever comes into the and of course Nefertiri is an historical character and th- that's like the kind of confusing thing about the Exodus story as told by Hollywood it's like there's no historical link between the Ramses character and Moses himself like Ramses is just assumed to be the pharaoh in question because he is just the most famous but it's sort of a self-perpetuating myth of like well he's famous because wasn't he the antagonist in the exodus story Um, (laughs) so she's an historical character but there's nothing in the bible that says like and then ramses and moses like fought for the affections of ann baxter and whoever whoever was the king would get to have her in the end uh right that's not that's not part of the that's not on page uh, 15 uh, of your, um, the, the Seder document. Um, do you, do you want to talk about Ann Baxter's performance and then kind of talk about just the myriad schools of acting going on in this film? You lying at her. You'll destroy yourself with your own venom if you try to turn Seti against Moses. You would turn Seti against me? Remember, my sweet, that you must be wife to the next pharaoh. And I'm going to have all of you. None of me. Did you think my kiss was a promise of what you'll have? No, my pompous one. It was to let you know what you will not have. I could never love you. Yes, I think Anne Baxter, and she's great, and stunning uh and a really you know she's she if she isn't already she should be like one of these like classic hollywood giants uh because she's so good but she does have that kind of like moses i never thought you would return moses (laughs) and it's you know it's it's dripping pretty thick on the screen but that's like what this movie requires like this isn't you know uh kelly reichard here like this is you know this is 70 years earlier where you're almost you're playing knowing that the only way people are going to see you is on like a hundred foot screen Um, fair yeah um so she her other famous role is uh all about eve or she has many famous roles but that's her other one that's the titular eve um the only direction that she has been given is to want and I'm sorry, pardon my blaspheming. She wants to fuck Moses for the duration <laughs> of this movie. I mean, she wants to fuck Moses from the first time Moses appears on screen right up until her firstborn child is dead. I mean, in and we're talking about yeah. five, six, seven scenes where she and Ann Baxter is so good at it. Like it, I mean, I my heart was a flutter the way she's like, she just wants one thing and it is this guy and she can't have it like seven times in a row um which is such a garbage part and played with so much commitment by her yes oh she's definitely she's giving it a thousand percent yeah and she'll she's interested in any any form of moses like young clean moses like middle muddy moses it matters uh, old man moses desert people moses 
Yeah, it doesn't matter. Bring it. And on. really, until he kills her, her son. Until then, she's like, yeah, she's up for it. But that's a bridge too far. And God love her for that. Drawing a line <laughs> in the sand. Um. So yeah, you have her kind of lusting to the back row of the of the cinema. You have Yul Brenner, who another incredible actor. <laughs> he looks first of all, he is jacked. You really don't see like fifties actors like this. But this is cut. the the fifties like uh, masculine triangle that we talk about. Like Yul Brenner, right. perfect example of the Kirk Douglas chest. Um. You know, delivers lines like with loudly, but um, I don't think a like a, I don't think an emotion is really conveyed uh, through most of his performance. Would you say? I think it's funny where he finds those little you know moments in the script where he can be like he can like tell a joke and then like whip his little like thing over his shoulder. Right, he is a little like, sassy sometimes. He is a little sassy sometimes, and he's pretty good with the. And so let it be written. And so let it be done. Right. He's got a... I really like his um, his quip when they're cornering them against the Red Sea at the end where he just kind of says offhand to his chariot counterpart, uh, Moses' God is a poor general to leave him no retreat. <laughs> uh, he does have some good ones. You have Charlton Heston who... You, okay, one has to d- divide up this performance. In classic Charlton Heston, like Planet of the Apes form, I actually think he is very entertaining and quite adept in the like 60 minutes where he's becoming really put out by the terrible treatment of the Hebrews. Like when he starts, when he's like saves the grease woman who's caught between the two blocks um, and starts to, and he's like sort of still sort of like, that's building no grease a city. woman, that's my mother. Right. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and and like when he's showing Seti like look I can still when he's trying to navigate the being very princely but having these burgeoning um you know righteous feelings uh he's pretty good at that I think that when he is full blown uh old white Moses that he is just laughably bad for like 90 minutes of this movie and he's certainly not having as much fun with the script either. Like for every every witty thing that the script has to say, like he plays it as like some sort of like almost biblical like parable or something. Like when he's interrogating uh, Vincent Price, who's like, oh, let's kill that guy who like struck our dude who was going to whip the, the grease woman to death. He's like, are you a master builder or a master butcher? And it's like, okay. Like I have a little the- bit more fun with that line. Like, see I how think your buddy Yule's doing it. You think that's the good shit? I do. I think that when he just becomes, like, an automaton, and he just becomes such a bad hang, like, in the last night. They're like, uh, Moses, um, do you want, what kind of, you want anything on your bread? And he's like, God will decide what is on my bread. Like, anything <laughs> you say to him, he just says, God will decide. I mean, it's, and and here's the other thing. You talked about there being a wisdom required. This is a movie that, of course, believes itself to be a profound portrayal of a profoundly impactful story. But, like, Charlton Heston's just not that good of an actor. He keeps doing the thing where he, like, looks sideways into the middle distance to, like, think about it. Like, 
but you can see him like looking over there thinking about like i'm thinking about thinking hard and it's it's real dumb compared to what he's supposed to be trying to pull off you hold your tongue almost as well as i hold my temper it's a pity to kill so strong a stone cutter death will bring death baka who are you one who asks what right you have to kill a slave. The right of a master to kill you or any slave. <laughs> kill me, Master Butcher. Moses! It's definitely hokey, for sure. But I also think, like, you don't need anyone too charismatic in a movie that's so obsessed with, like, the visuals behind it. DeMille's doing something on screen that it's almost like the actors are there in the same role that his voiceover is. It's just to like get us to the next like huge shot. Let me ask you two questions. What's up, man? Scale of one to 10. How good is this parting of the Red Sea? Six, seven. It's a great, like I said, it's a great image because you literally have a bunch of like mat work being done. Um, but they're like standing on a, like it doesn't make physical sense. They're standing high on a cliff that they couldn't navigate down. Like I think the Prince of Prince of Egypt one. Well, is, let's not, let's not spoil it. We'll get to the Prince of Egypt one when it's time. Compelling, if not convincing. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, I mean, for its time, it's like, pretty amazing like i'm pretty amazed by this movie you know of course lucy's sitting next to me and she's like man looks really fake it's like it's a movie from 1956 like what do you want from it i mean the car the fire god's fire tornadoes are like literally like cartoon like copy like out of jungle book they're like just draw them on the frame (laughs) i mean that's you're you're not gonna get a lot out of that and like some of the keying is pretty bad with like the wide shots of of egypt uh, question one B is what did you think of the burning bush? That worked for me. I I like traditional. This. Sure, yeah, it's not. That's not the one that's trying to win. Like a this is the Maxwell House Hagata of of Ten Commandments movies. This is your grandmother's Ten Commandments. I mean, in lo- for many living Certainly people, it literally, my is. grandmother. Yeah. <laughs> But he also has that thing that, again, that Old Testament thing of like God and a lot of the prophets of the Old Testament, like have a real contempt for their followers. (laughs) Like when he's telling them to cross the Red Sea, they're like, I think they're like, I think we might die. And he's just like, you bastards, get your asses (laughs) out there. Stone him. (laughs) Oh, my God. So the contempt goes both ways. Um (laughs) <laughs> oh man did you not see all the plagues get i don't care if you drown get your asses in there <laughs> get in the pool get you kids yeah. get in the pool right yeah, this now. moses is like the high school gym teacher moses doesn't know That's why he's there but definitely exactly. knows that he's right and you're wrong um let's tell people how we rate movies this passover and then we'll rate the ten commandments On Be Real, we rate movies in two categories, a good or bad for technical quality and a good or bad for watchability. So what are the four possible ratings? I don't care! 
Good, good movies are both well-made and highly entertaining. The Fugitive, Parasite, Rear Window, or The Hunt for Red October. Once more, we play our dangerous game. Good, bad movies are often impressive technically, but also tough sits. Historical melodramas like The Mission, horror movies too scary or gross to rewatch, or self-serious musicals like Yentl. Papa, can you hear me? Conversely, bad good movies are highly flawed but still gratifying. Nonsensical hangouts like Hot Tub Time Machine or ludicrously fun action fare like Twister or Stargate. Give my regards to King Todd, asshole. Bad bad movies are neither well-made nor entertaining. Examples we've covered unfortunately include Garden State, Fifty Shades of Grey, and Attack of the Clones. I'm deeply sorry, master. Got all that? Time for a rating. The real question is this, Chance. There's a movie that clocks in at three hours and 45 minutes or whatever. Does that take away the enjoyment? <laughs> yeah, man. Can it this still is... be enjoyable at that length? This movie is the ultimate, let it be written, the ultimate courtesy good-bad. Like, you have <laughs> to appreciate on some level what it is and what and really not even what it is but kind of like what it has been um there is just so much you can certainly find like i think that vincent price is really um i like i love seeing him pop up in here uh i love like what the effects represent there yeah there's no way in hell it's a good good though but i I would i would if you are getting if you give yourself over to the scope and the scale and the runtime and the intermission like I kind of defy you not to submit to it if you get along for the ride. Like you will feel the epic, almost like brutality of just having been there, which is half the point of the movie is that you like understand how long and hard this journey was. I'm good, bad. What do you think? I think much like my mother's uh, traditional Passover brisket year after year, this movie is at least soft. Good, good. Um, in that it's just like this reliable Hollywood. But when I say Hollywood, I really just mean like every frame is interesting. Like nothing's boring or experimental or requiring some level of obscurity to unpack. It's all just there and big and bright. And of course the subtext is there for you to unpack later. But I think that like, if you love the, the cinematic thing. If you like movies, uh, this is unarguably, inarguably a good, good. I, I got to make you the, there are so many boring parts of this movie. What are you talking about? Anything Moses says in the last hour is cry your eyes out. Boring. But then he's not even acting very anymore. soon. There's like a chariot, a chariot, like chasing them not down right. the hill or like a, an ocean is parting or there's like a plague. You know, something's turning into like I think even the the just the the marvel of you know the things that turn red for the blood like in the, that early plague sequence is pretty cool and compelling, uh, even if it's you know a little biblical. <laughs> just I feel like it might be a little biblical. Now let me ask you a sillier movie question, Chance. What up? Since we just watched the Mummy for our Patreon watch party. Um, if a curse existed to 
make sure somebody goes away and never comes back to bother you again for as long as your empire shall reign. Don't you think Moses would have been a perfect candidate for the hum die, the, the worst of all Egyptian mummy curses? You, this is a, first of all, yes, but this is a perfect segue into the Prince of Egypt. Um, because <laughs> the idea that Moses and Ramses are experiencing a really once earnest broken brotherhood is a great way of streamlining the plot of the Ten Commandments, which the Ten Commandments is not like a literate movie in terms of the character relationships within. Um, what you're right. what you're pointing out is like the Rams Yule Brenner's Ramses has no reason to like let Moses just hang around and like keep giving him like audiences and keep right. standing by while these plagues happen. He should home he should hum die him for sure. But the Prince of Egypt what? solves that problem. Yeah, and I guess my joke comes out of the fact, too, that in the Cecil B. DeMille uh, Ten Commandments, Moses is like an inflappably morally upstanding character, and he's not that complicated. He, like, just follows, you know, without reservation, the rules that the Pharaoh sets, and then when God's like, actually, I'm God, actually, you're a Hebrew, he's like, oh, I'm going to follow you with the same vigor that I was following this other system before. Not a deep guy. not a deep guy, at least in that movie. But in The Prince of Egypt, what's interesting about it is we're introduced to a Moses and Ramses that are nuanced characters. This Moses early on, like even from the opening sequence, is like kind of a dick. And maybe like the more sort of um, antagonistic one of the brothers. You know, he's always leading Ramsey to get Ramses to get in trouble. Like he's the one who like drops the wine... Uh, water thing and onto the priest's head and then blames Ramses and then he makes him late to the the dinner and he's Moses is the one who's keeping sort of the power from Ramses whereas in the other one with Yule Brenner it's like I'm actually more incompetent than you but I deserve it anyway because I'm your real son and this one Ramses is actually the more competent one Hush now my baby be still now, don't cry. Sleep as you're rocked by the stream. Rescued from a river. Come, Ramesses. We will show Pharaoh your new baby brother, Moses. <laughs> second born, second place. Not for long. Raised by royalty. You are not a prince of Egypt. What did you say? Everything I am is a lie. You are our son. I can't stay here any longer. Moses, please. Goodbye, brother. The truth gave him the courage to do the impossible. We should say Moses is voiced by the one, the only. Your pal, my pal, our pal Val. Top secret zone, Val Kilmer. Yes. And of course... Noted villain Rafe Fines. Right. Known Voldemort. Here to play. Yeah. Here to play the Voldemort of the Bible. This is the first DreamWorks animated movie after Katzenberg uh, splits town um, from Disney in the 90s. He had wanted to basically remake the Ten Commandments animated for 
a lot of the decade and Michael Eisner was just like, nope. And so when he eventually <laughs> got to DreamWorks, he's like, great, now I can finally do this. And uh, in three years, we'll make Shrek. Don't worry about it. Um, well, that's the interesting thing. I mean, if we can stop for a second here. The idea that these properties are so weird and potentially niche. You know, the idea of telling these biblical stories, like who is the audience for something like that from an otherwise totally secular, you know, Paramount or DreamWorks. Like it's, this is sort of an odd thing to engage in just on a creative level. It is. Um, And I think people have different, I mean, when you're talking about Prince of Egypt 98, you're talking about childhood nostalgia in our wheelhouse and people have different attachments to it. My wife, Sarah was raised uh, evangelical and this was like a big movie um, for her like church group and whatnot. They would watch it all the time. Um, uh, Acquaintance Colin commented on my letterbox and was like, my friend's dad was a pastor. We watched this constantly. I remember being raised with uh, me of little faith, um, seeing this and thinking it was kind of like stiff and joyless and being like, this is pretty self-important. I better not watch the Cecil B. DeMille's Ten Commandments. Um, What is you? You said you watched it in synagogue as a kid? Yeah, this guy who I actually just saw on my Passover virtual Seder uh, paid for the whole like Sunday school to go to the AMC and see this in theaters when it came out. Um, Do you remember liking it? Which was... I remember thinking it was like fine. Uh, you know, I don't know that I... I don't know. I, I It's it's weird because I, I sort of... Yeah, I remember it sort of being lukewarm on this film, um, but not really knowing why. If your brain was getting fried on Mulan and Hercules, like right. this one is going to seem a little less fun. Well, it's also possible that at... And I must have been like 12 years old or something. I'd already seen The Ten Commandments like six or seven times. <laughs> and this one, whereas like The Ten Commandments is like the expanded director's cut, like this is almost sort of like the reduced cut. Like it oh, almost yeah. seems like there should be more Danny Glover or more uh, Jeff Goldblum or like more a lot of people having scenes that sort of add up to, I don't know. It's a similar feeling that I'll feel about um, Sigourney Weaver in the next movie. What is, <laughs> I think she I think she is the ultimate example of like, what are you doing here? Well, going back to Prince of Egypt, I think it's, there is something important about remaking this story with people who, despite being cast by mostly British actors, are people who are darker than the very, very, very white people, save for Yul Brenner, who's actually Russian, uh, from the l- other large production of this biblical story. Like, this one actually feels like maybe the people sort of looked like this. Like these are the, the animated characters. Yeah. Yes. That is important. That is what sure. I think is like an interesting and maybe even subversive thing about this movie is being historically accurate in the physical representations of these characters. <laughs> All right, Moses, I know you. What's this really about? Ramesses, look, what do you see? A greater Egypt than that of my father. That is not what I see. (laughs) 
Moses, I cannot change what you see. I have to maintain the ancient traditions. I bear the weight of my father's crown. Do you still not understand what said he was? He was a great leader. His hands bore the blood of thousands of children. <laughs> Slaves. My people. And I can no longer hide in the desert while they suffer. I really do think there's an interesting quality about this storytelling where Ramses is actually thrilled to see Moses when he's back from the desert. You know, whereas Yule Brenner is fucking pissed. Right. Well, I think they're... I think it's a believable read on the absolute power that Ramses has that like the things that he cares about are really important to him. And like, no matter for a lot of the movie, he's just like Moses, like he says, you are what I say you are. I mean, like I can absolve you in a minute and that's, you're in my good graces and I want to see you, man. And, and I think that that's a, I think that's an interesting read on, on Pharaoh, which is like, sure, he can, he can hold some nice things in his heart, but they're all within the incredibly narrow scope of his own, um, believed like infallibility. And that's, that's the thing is Moses could easily take advantage of that narrow scope and kind of realizes he can't. There's a temptation there, which I like in the script. For sure. No, I think that's really interesting. And, you know, early critics of this movie sort of said that it lacked like that emotional layer, this film that it was like stunning visually, but didn't really connect on the, on the human level. And I, I guess on a second watch here, uh, and I may have seen this movie once or twice in the middle there, um, but it, I, I am intrigued by some of the character relationships and almost want more. Cause this movie makes the choice too, where, so whereas the 10 commandments kind of like slowly gets to the, like, Oh, the, the, the lady servant of the queen is holding this piece of cloth. And if Moses yeah. finds it, he's going to know. Whereas in this one, Sandra Bullock just like bumps into him in a marketplace. And he's like, Hey, you're my brother. Like, didn't the right. Egyptians tell you you're my brother. And that kind of like yields the, you know, the sort of unraveling of, of Moses and realizing his identity has been a, uh, a fraud. Um, he was a sovereign prince of Egypt. The one place I think what you're talking about where this movie really drops the ball is Helen Mirren plays Queen Tuya, who is Seti's wife, who finds him, who finds baby Moses. And uh, she is not in the movie uh, after a certain point. And I don't know if I don't think she's dead when Moses comes back. Isn't she there? Unclear to me, like who no, the, no conversation who is the had woman is. And clearly yeah. in a storytelling sense, like that's the that's the person that Moses needs to have a conversation with about like who he is and what his uh, involvement in this horrible monarchy um, has meant. And the fact that there's no conversation is like, you rewrote everything else. Where is this all important layup scene? Right. No, it really relies uh, too much on the, this is my home song. Um, are the songs, are the songs good? Well, I didn't realize how annoyingly like La La Land this movie is, where there's like three <laughs> songs that are sung. There's like several reprises for one or two songs, uh, most notably the Academy Award winning song, If You Believe, uh, which not only has the nice fake Sandra Bullock singing it, uh, but then who is it? Whitney Houston at the end? Mariah Carey? Both? 
I think it's Mariah. Oh, it is both. Incredible. If you can't get, if you, my God, you gotta get both. This is the Prince of Egypt. This is the Exodus story. You're not just gonna get one. I think that the visuals of this movie are so ornate that they almost just swallow up the songs into them. Like, deliver us. Like, I couldn't hum you. I couldn't hum you a note. But it's... Deliver us. There's my guy. But I think it is completely amassed into a sensory experience of just, like, how epic that opening thing is. So, like, let's talk about some of the some of the visual touches um you have like you have traditional hand-drawn animation mixing with cgi um in a way that i think is really interesting i don't even know if it should work like so much of what you're seeing like the backdrop is just a painting and no effort is made to like make it seem as though there's wind in the trees or there's like a ripple on the water it's just a gorgeous gorgeous still painting and then moving characters in the front, which... Right. But there's a bit of digital going on in the background. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes and I think the, the best example of the drawn mixed up with the computer stuff is when he's like the nightmare going through the hieroglyphics of realizing that they killed the babies. Unbelievable. That's, really good. That's exceptional. Well, and uh, that's another good script move of just taking that thing that everybody knows about this story and making it a revelation for Moses instead of having it be that really boring tossed off thing at the beginning of 10 commandments where it's like Seti's dad, I think was like, what'd you say? Too many Hebrews. That's ah, fine. Just do this. It's like, well, Jesus, this scene is very <laughs> yeah. calloused and rushed. And with like um, the, like that woman who's so overcome with grief, she's just like staring. Yeah. Ah, terrifying. Um, the idea, though, that the this like lineage of Egyptian of ancient Egyptian empire, which is, I think, so much for this depiction of Ramses to shoulder the idea that they are like kind of entombed alive with all these pictographs of like the history that he's supposed to be supporting. It's a kind of a it's kind of a loud shot, but it's nonetheless beautiful of like Seti's face lining up with the Sphinx's face in the background. That was cool, um, for sure. The idea that they're like just like dwarfed by their own monuments as they go about their day is amazing. And also speaks to like how inexorable they will be. And then the once Moses goes off on his own, how kind of gentle and unpredictable even, you know, God's smoke during Passover is, how quiet and, um, but like unrestrained it is. It's really I, yeah, I like Death of the Firstborn in this one a lot. Uh, oh, the it's art amazing. It. Just like, you almost see like these little like light up of souls that like this cloud is taking with it. It's pretty interesting. To So, so tranquil and so menacing at the same time. Scale of one out of ten. Uh, what did you think of the parting of the Red Sea? Ten, unbelievable. I thought. I, I think agree with you. The and this is like where you can't. You have to. Who are the? I wanted to shout them out. Um, 
the art directors for this movie were Kathy Altieri and Richard Chavez and uh, Derek Gogol was the production designer. And they're the ones who kind of came up with the, um, like the concept art that kind of defined the visual language of all this. And I think when I say the backgrounds are often paintings, I think you have a lot of people that like are looking at this in some cases as artistry more than entertainment. How else do you explain the lightning strike and the illuminated whale in the parted oh. sea? Like I literally was like, oh my God, look at that shit. And it has nothing to do with storytelling. It's just like, let's do the most beautiful thing we can do right now. And outside of, you know, like, studio ghibli or like wolf walkers or something what mainstream like american animation house is a is there a question of what's the most beautiful thing we can do right now that's never a question which one of them do you think said to whoever was making the decision of do you remember how yule brenner's chest was in the ten commandments well what if we use that same model for all the men's faces uh in this one (laughs) Without a doubt. I mean, as as we were teasing sort of the woodenness of Yule's performance, but um, clearly, like, he is he is what they're animating when they make this Ramses. Also, a very funny thing that my wife Sarah told me is that um, I think my first movie crush was Ramses. <laughs> That's so weird that she said that because Lucy, like, woke up from one of her naps earlier while I was watching this and, like, opened one eye and was like... I know he's a cartoon, but that Moses is kind of hot. Oh, nice. I okay. Like, I was like, come on. <laughs> these are some. These are some hot. Uh, some hot princes. Let me ask you this, Chance. Does this movie suffer from trying to be a little too much like a Disney movie, specifically? And I think one goofy misfire. The What's that? two like Egyptian priests. Uh, oh, Hotep and Hoy. Hotep and Hoy, played by Steve Martin and Martin Short, who are basically like the Timon and Pumbaa yeah. of like the the yeah the Pharaoh's Council or whatever, and they have this like pretty goofy song called "You're Playing with the Big You're Boys Now." The big boys, the big now. boys now, yeah, which is supposed to uh, the big boys being like my religion has more gods than your religion. So like right. your snake religion is stupid. There's some snake uh, measuring going on. There's definitely, it's definitely a snake showing contest. Yeah. Um, but I've his ca- Moses snake eats the two other snakes <laughs> and nobody says a damn thing about it in this one. We should do like a, you want to do like a man on the street show where you just like go up to people and you're like, true or false. Steve Martin has voiced a character named Hotep. And just see what people say. Yeah. Yeah. Beaver on the street. Yeah. <laughs> Favorite Hotep, Steve Martin? <laughs> oh, man. True or false? True or false? <laughs> um, yeah, that... I get I think that scene is good looking, but it's like pretty, pretty goofy. Can we turn toward a rating? Sure. Not a perfect movie. I think there are noticeable flaws i was really impressed with it though and i think that the the animation and the adaptation choices carry it a long way into being something that is both uh gorgeous and watchable and i really kind of feel um a lot of pain and agony in the in the Ray Fiennes performance and a lot of a lot of calm in the Val Kilmer performance. Um, I really like this movie. I'm going to give it a good good. I agree with you. I think it's the strongest of the three, at least. 
for um, me for sure but also like a really interesting animated film that i mean somehow secularizes a very uh, biblical story in a way yeah. that is beautiful to watch it has enough music to be a musical um and it's just, just enough. yeah it's go- just barely enough, enough. Just to get over that line <laughs> barely enough um but yeah, a, a meaningful cinematic experience, I think. Uh, and if you were really looking to understand the story of Passover, minus the whole part where like they're trying to stone Moses at every turn, uh, and a little less about him destroying the Ten Commandments, this is the version for you. There you go. That's a good, a good sum up. Can I take you down one weird avenue? Sure. It is Midian Avenue that I want to go down here. Um, uh, yeah, just a bridge in Midian. <laughs> my friend Micah, I kind of drunk rewatched this movie with him in college, and one of you his drunk watched The Prince of Egypt. Yeah, it's much better, wow. much better sober. But um, this is my dorm. <laughs> <laughs> Um, one of the things that he liked to point out is that, uh, you know, Moses later slaughters the Midianites. Do you know this? Sure. Biblically. Yeah. <laughs> Historically. Yeah. So Micah would uh, kind of rework the Through Heaven's Eyes to, into a song about <laughs> like, they thought they thought I was their brother, but it couldn't be much further. I'll be coming back or something. <laughs> like that um but that's just like one of the weird things of like again that you you're just in odd adaptation territory when you're dealing with a text where it's like yeah this guy's whole life was changed by this uh this tribe of people but in 40 years like he's not gonna stand for these temptresses they'll kill everyone (laughs) right yeah look at look at this film through micah's eyes (laughs) look at this film through micah's eyes (laughs) And if anyone would focus on that slaughter, it would be Ridley Scott. But alas, he had his eyes set on other things. Right. (laughs) Like the battle sequence between the Egyptians and... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's talk about 2014 Exodus colon gods and kings. Moses, Ramesses, you grew up together close as brothers. Keep each other safe. Always. You know something's wrong. You've always felt it. Your parents never told you the truth. What truth? The year of your birth, there was a prophecy that our leader would be born to liberate us. That leader is you, Moses. After 400 years of slavery, Things here have become much worse. As your brother, you must set them free. Is that a threat? Yes! I want Moses and his family dead. What is the most important thing in your life? You are. And when will you leave me? Never. Let's just see who's more effective at killing you or me. We haven't been doing any synopses. What's our synopses? That's that's true. 
in this one, it's the defiant leader Moses rises up against Egyptian Pharaoh Ramses II, setting 600,000 slaves on a monumental journey of escape from Egypt and its terrifying cycle of deadly plagues. I think escape from Egypt would be like a fun. What yeah. One of the things, as we got into this third movie here, and this last one is, I'm sorry to tip my hand so soon, but it's just so unnecessary for this movie to exist, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm not saying it's terrible. I'm saying it's unnecessary for it to exist. Uh, but one of the things I kept thinking is like, why doesn't somebody do snapshot biopic of some element of one of these chapters that can be interestingly fleshed out? Um, and Escape from Egypt could be interesting, but the the whole doing the whole story again in two and a half like we've seen it done in four and we've seen it done in like 150 i was just like oh what's gonna happen in two and a half look at the story through ridley's <laughs> eyes <laughs> yeah it's it is unclear and of course like this movie because it's a ridley scott movie like has to begin with some like you know intense battle scene but unlike what's super confusing about the this property here is that like it's not an r-rated movie it's like a like a pg-13 movie so like the action isn't even that compelling you know it's sort of in that noah milieu of like weird biblical stories that try to explain how it actually happened noah's have you seen noah yeah with the rock people and the Emma Watson on that like wood thing that they build. I guess it's an arc. An arc. <laughs> what are you talking? Were you saying you don't recognize it as an arc? It's just not what I had envisioned. Hashtag not bumper sticker. Not my arc. Right. I okay. boycott the movie Noah. A lot of people did. Uh, you know, more white people <laughs> in these roles. Same year, I think. I think both of yeah. them are fourteen. Because I think there were a lot. I feel of like pe- all these films were routinely banned in muslim countries noah's pretty scary though because one of the things that noah tries to tap into is um you know what what does the zealotry of this figure look like and what boundaries does he have with people who are close to him this movie doesn't really get uh doesn't feel so so dangerous there are scenes in this movie where it feels like the actors are rushing to get through the dialogue of the mandatory 10 commandments scenes just so we can get to what Ridley is interested in, which is battle and plagues. Battle and plagues for sure. I mean, this movie does have some like hope to it too, that it's going to be maybe an interesting film. I would say like the early John Turturro as SETI stuff is like, kind of fascinating where he's like tell us what the chicken innards tell us about the you know how this battle is going to play out like you know and using some of this like weird historical kind of mumbo jumbo to like give us a sense of like what these people believe in was sort of interesting but then you kind of zoom out and you realize this is just like a game of this is like bible colon game of thrones exactly you know and it's with actors that you'll recognize from supporting roles uh and then weird like big actors who much like prince of egypt are there for 30 seconds for seemingly no reason on a narrative level right sigourney weaver ben kingsley 
I mean, Kingsley's a little more important. Sigourney Weaver is the is the truly terrible one because, like, right. she's so white to be playing this part, and then there's no reason for her to be there. So it's like, why did she agree to do it? Right. But you said she had scenes that were cut. Apparently, yeah, she was upset at the when she saw the movie because she had like a lot of good monologues and stuff. I mean, if you want to see that kind of scene, I would just go back to Gladiator and watch the. You know, the scenes between the weird, icky scenes between the uh, Connie Nielsen and Joaquin Phoenix. It's probably the same shit. Right. Probably. <laughs> but this yeah. is what he's doing. Like Ridley just will not let the gladiator thing go. And and Hollywood won't stop accepting it from him because they're like, well, this is a bankable thing. Right. And the answer with this movie is kind of like it made, I think, yeah. like 250 worldwide, but it probably cost about 250 after marketing. <laughs> Yeah, no net points on that one. Um, no. But yeah, and then like Ben Mendelsohn has this odd role where he's like, you remember like the Vincent Price character from Ten Commandments, which you've probably already seen? Like kind of like that, but like in a Ridley Scott movie. Right. And that's his character. He's good at being malevolent. Um, he's no he's good at wearing Price. like those weird wigs. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's wearing like a, like blue dreadlocks. Which, if you want to, but but made out of yarn or something, it's like too weird to be appropriative. The thing wrapped up in like the offensiveness of the casting, which a lot of people said at the time, is just like again how little need there is for the movie to exist. Of like Ridley Scott being like, "Oh, silence, my critics! Like this, this couldn't be made if I didn't have actors like." Christian Bale um, top lining it. It's like, you don't need to make it. <laughs> That's not a good reason. Right. No, yeah, we have more problem with the first part of that sentence. Well, yeah. And also his quote was like, if I had cast Muhammad such and such, the film wouldn't exist. That's a quote from Ridley Scott. Oh, man. Yikes, Ridley. Yeah. We should have known early on he was uh, frightened of anything alien. Do you want to talk about how Joel Edgerton's my guy? Because you talk about that way more than I talk about that. I had a moment <laughs> where I was watching Exodus Gods and Kings and I looked up at the screen and I go like, oh, that's Joel Edgerton. That's Chance's guy. And you know what? I think he's pretty good in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I think The he, problem with... I think he's pretty good at capturing a quintessential Ramesses quality, which is cultural and social superiority. Uh, given to him by ancient Egypt, but an inferiority complex next to Moses, which is something that carries through all three of these movies. And Edgerton, I think, is really good at like looking powerful, but in a lot of the conversations with his advisors, he's still like pretty petty and he can't help it. And like he knows that people don't like him. And also he's Joel Edgerton. So he just kind of has that thing of like, He's never going to be Tom Hardy. He's never going to be Christian Bale. He's always going to be the second guy. And so I think he's good in a metatextual way of playing that frustration a little bit. Looking great, but not being the guy. Sure. I just think the problem with the two of them is that they never struck me as like being from that rarefied space. Like they're too... I don't know, like from the wrong side of Boston to be like the the next in line for the throne of Egypt, you know. Edgerton I don't know and Bale I, or just Edgerton? Really both of them. Like this this role, I think, like, I don't know. He's like not, Bale is not like quite Patrick Bateman or like 
quite sort of, you know, sort of thriving in the system or being morally superior to it. And then, yeah, Edgerton's just sort of like the, yeah, like the the to town bully or something. Who, yeah, he's got that inferiority, but like for whatever reason, like it's not my idea of what to like, it's not succession. Like that's like two powerful or several powerful people like jockeying for a position. And I feel like the other two movies capture in some way, at least like the pressure that's on these guys. Sure. Whereas this one's more like, man, Joel Edgerton looks really weird with that gold beard, like hooked to his chin. <laughs> yeah, I wish it's John true. Turturro was back scratching at his sandals or maybe that was the night of. Their casting here speaks to, I think one of the big flaws of this approach to the movie. And it's a lot, a lot of movies are made this way in the shadow of Christopher Nolan. Cause I think he popular popularized this approach, which is studio saying we have that property. What if we made it more realistic? What if we chased kind of the North star of realism through something, but then you inherently slam into the wall of this is not, story's not about realism so like a lot of your efforts are for not well i think you're scratching at what i find so fucking offensive about this movie (laughs) okay uh, beyond the horrible racist casting is the idea that the movie tries to give like real world reasons for why the plagues happened and then tries to blame like a fucking meteorite for why the red sea parted or some shit tsunami maybe yeah well he sees like the night before like the thing like crashed to earth so like i guess the thinking is like it like caused the water to get sucked out and then rush back or something yeah whatever it happens to be but like why would you make a movie where you're like oh well you know what really like turned the river into blood is was alligators losing their fucking minds you know that's there's no god and that's the problem. It's like instead of having the like burning bush scene the way that we've seen it and the way it's written in the Bible is like Moses kind of like wanders off after the sheep and he finds him and he like there's a bush that's it looks like it's it's burning, but it, it doesn't disintegrate. Uh, in this one, Christian Bale's chasing a sheep up the mountain and then like it gets hit in the head with a rock and then has like delusions, basically, the rest of the movie where he talks to this little boy Who's like, I'm God. And there's even a shot where a character looks at him talking to this little boy and the little boy's not there. Right. Um, and so it almost makes the exodus from Egypt, it, it sort of minimizes it into a series of random coincidences and just blind fucking luck and people believing in this madman. The visual representation of God as a little boy um, is offensive to a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is an interesting way of trying to explain the bloodthirstiness of the Old Testament God in this case. I mean, there's a scene where the little boy is like 400 years of slavery. Like, we'll do this until they fucking scream for mercy. Um, that's interesting. Um, but I don't think it's like a large, I don't think it like works on this like larger level. The scene with the bloodthirsty Nile crocodiles that wreak so much fucking havoc on like fishermen and like shippers that that's how the water starts to turn red is a harrowing scene. But what does it add up to? Yeah, I know what you're saying. But yeah, to one end, 
like that's the god that you, like is part of the Passover story is one that like either killed innocent people or killed innocent people. Like I don't I don't I don't quite get like what the bigger sort of takeaway is supposed to be. Especially and then if suddenly you're, I think especially if you're I mean if if people look at these holy texts and some people are like, I'm gonna look at it literally and some people are like, I'm gonna look at it in terms of metaphysics. Where are we with a guy who's like literal but not that? Literal but real. It's like this is there's no third this is not a third way that we want, dude. It is very interesting. Yeah. I mean, I don't take the Bible literally by any means, but I I don't know. Like to like totally be like, well, actually, to like the Exodus, you know, what why bother? Yeah, to what ends? <laughs> exactly. Why bother? Because then you're kind of stuck at the end of this movie being like so we have this brain damaged man who's like being carried in X direction just and then sitting like on the Ark of the Covenant, just like sitting on the Ark. Yeah. And it's like amazing to me that this movie doesn't have like a prologue set in like modern Israel or something and just be like, see, this is the issue. And be like, okay, why, yeah. what do you, what we're all driven by religion is mental illness. Okay. It's pretty That's- snotty. Yeah, I mean, you pointed out, like, we've all seen Prometheus and, like, Alien Covenant. Like, Ridley loves to examine, I mean, that's a, that's his, like, non-literal, like, allegorical look at religious texts is, like, the terror, the terror of belief and power. So, to go, (laughs) to go literal, but then be, like, but not supernatural, I don't know. I would have loved if there was like crossover between the alien universe and the Bible. Oh yeah. David welcoming them into Canaan being like, please sit anywhere. Hello, Moses. (laughs) There are 10 tenets of a successful life, Moses. Please write them down. Would you allow me to carve your staff into a flute of some kind? (laughs) You blow. I'll do the fingering. (laughs) That would have been incredible. Or if like inside the ark had been like the pods that like the the Xeno form comes out of Xenomorph. That's that's just Scientology, I think. Incredible. I think you're describing Scientology. I would love if somebody made I would I want to see the the Scientology gods and kings. Scale uh, from one to ten, what did you think of the parting of the Red Sea? One, because, because the, again, the movie has like outcrafted itself where it's just like, well, no, 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 it's not going to part. It's just like the water will recede in this like explainable way. It's like, don't lead me down the two hour, 10 minute path of the Exodus story and then not part the Red Sea, you dick. (laughs) Yeah, I felt kind of cheated when like, it seems like they're still wading through a fair amount of water uh, here, guys. I mean, there's some sandy parts, but like other parts, still pretty wet. Another way where this, I think this movie is interesting, like it creates an interesting scene, but to what end is like how it considers um, uh, nation building and the politics of a monarchy and this idea that like the these other two movies, 
as far as they're concerned, like an Egyptian populace like doesn't even exist. And this movie posits that like you have to punish the populace with the plagues in order to get any change out of Ramesses, which I think is thoughtful and interesting, but again, doesn't it's not a movie about the Egyptian populace. There's no Egyptian common characters that we know so like again there's just all these little interesting like pockets of like we tried to make this real even when like moses comes back the literal ramses line also by the way side note to my side note has any movie ever smacked more of a steve zalian punch up than this movie i was just gonna make a steve zalian joke every 20 minutes you're like oh it's a good line you're like was zalian involved in this is he like the fourth credited screenwriter on this (laughs) Indeed, he is. He's de- he was definitely not in charge of like the story, but he's got. Um, Ramesses says to Noah about releasing the the Hebrews from bondage. He says, from an economic standpoint alone, what you're saying is problematic to say the least. And this idea that these these like state cruel state builders would have conversations about like economic systems is I like that it's imagining that there was more. Um, more like practicality and tangibility to these characters. But again, I can't say it adds up. And now looking at the IMDb goofs, apparently studying animal entrails to foretell the future of a battle is in fact a Roman religious practice, not ancient Egyptian. So fuck this movie. If you're going to try to give some explanation for all of these naturally occurring events happening back to back to back to back to back to back to back, aren't you essentially arguing for some moral or righteous or vengeful universe anyway? Right. Like you're getting pretty close to a governing being or force anyway. So what's the point of doing that? And also why cop out on death of the firstborn? Like this movie has a pretty traditional, like fog rolls through town. A bunch of people die for no reason or no explainable reason. And, like, why not just go for it? You know, like, I was even reading some interpretations of, like, if the Ten Plagues had actually been uh, some thing that had actually happened in real life that people didn't realize what was going on or it was caused by natural things, whatever. Like, what would you use to explain the death of the firstborn? And there are, like, myriad explanations out there for, you know, the ideas of viruses and people having certain antibodies and then not having antibodies or being exposed to things. So you would have like maybe a generation that would be wiped out by something that another generation isn't hurt by at all. Or there was an idea about food being tampered with and sometimes like the older children would eat earlier, for example, you know, so it could have been something poison related. But this movie doesn't even try for that. And then... You know, like I said, who are you? Why are you looking at Moses as he rides off, uh, knowing he's not going to make it to to the end point here? Uh, so I have to say, I think this movie's a bad, bad. I would agree. I think you could easily, if we hadn't just had this discussion, I I could take a bad good, or excuse me, not a bad good. I think I could take a good bad from someone. They Ridley set out with a bunch of talented creators and did a gritty, capable version of whatever it is he wanted to do. But like, it's it's not good. Um, <laughs> I don't enjoy no. it. I think the idea for it is bad, and like these incidental <laughs> moments of execution don't save the whole thing. And also, 
I I think the actors are being directed weirdly because the movie is trying to squeeze in so much and go to what interests the director that like Christian Bale, this is kind of like a whisper screen performance. He's either mumbling stuff that you can barely hear um, while like in squalor or he's like yelling ridiculous shit like, is this meant to humble me? Because it will not. And that's (laughs) such an on the nose, like Moses screaming to the heavens, is this meant to humble me? Is... Is this meant to make me are your you, faithful servant? Come on. Are you not entertained? In this case, I sadly was not. I wasn't either. Yeah, this movie was stupid. Let me ask you this, Chance. Are yeah, you man. excited for the Stephen Summers, Moses, colon, Escape from Egypt? I'll watch it anytime. Where not only is Imhotep uh, a major character, he has a musical number. Okay. Okay. What would his song be? Uh, Scarabian Nights. A Noxuda Moon River. <laughs> oh, that's good too. Which of these do you feel like represents or portrays the Passover story, um, like in a way that you were like raised to understand it? Probably Ten Commandments. Okay. Um. But that's the interesting thing about Passover and my rabbi made a good point tonight on our virtual Seder that like Passover is the story you tell every, every year, but you actually don't really ever get to telling it. You mm-hmm. know, the, at no point in the Seder do you actually talk about Moses and Pharaoh and all of this, you know? So a lot of it is sort of in the popular imagination from the Bible uh, and then represented in cinema. Uh, but yeah, it's it's the actual details of it are not what's important to the holiday. The holiday, what is important is remembering that you were enslaved in whatever way or that you continue to be enslaved in whatever way and making best efforts to have that not be the case uh, the following year. Uh, and so there's something hopeful about that. Um, you know, very little about alligators. Uh, in the Seder. Do you feel as Cecil B. DeMille would have you that it's the commies who have mo- are currently enslaving you? The theme of this Seder is who governs men, gods or kings? <laughs> That's a really interesting perspective, my friend. I'm glad we did this podcast. Thanks for, thanks for leading the charge. Absolutely. Uh, if it had just been you and me speaking, that would have been enough. Uh, but we were we were blessed with this podcast as well. So, all right. Somehow.